Borak Thong Earthlets. Before we begin the show, I'd like to apologize for the audio quality of this episode and the next few episodes. Unfortunately, I had some of my audio settings done incorrectly and didn't realize it for a couple show tapings. I've since fixed the problem and it should be smooth sailing from here on out. Uh, so please bear with us for these next few episodes. Thank you for your patience and on with the show. Splendug Birthrig! Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 36th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD and Star-Lord for July 1979, progs 120 through 123. This week we'll see a new enemy for Judge Dredd, some new members of the ABC Warriors, and the backstory of... Bill Savage's shotgun in Disaster 1990. How's it going this week, Fox? I'm excited for robots. Also, ABC Warriors, also robots. So many robots. <laughs> in fact, we start with like a sweet robot issue. It's the big robot issue. That's right. It's not for small robots, although there are some small robots in it. I mean, so I guess it's also for small robots. There's, there's robots all over the place. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of which... Well, no, actually, not speaking of which, I suppose. Speaking of frozen, of uh, the robots that all of us have in our house, a.k.a. the refrigerator. <laughs> Thrill one, Judge Dredd. So here we open to a near-perfect close-up of Judge Dredd's bed. <laughs> He's getting sassy back of his thumbs on his belt loop. He's looking great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this week, Dredd is investigating... A, oh, so I should say Judge Dredd, all Judge Dredd this week is written by John Wagner as John Howard. The art robots, Brian Bollins. The art robots are Brian Bolland, Ron Smith, or Brian Bolland and Ron Smith, and the lettering robot is Tom Frame. So we start this issue with Dredd investigating a suicide at Forever Towers. He inve- he's investigating a suicide that it's not where the suicide was. Forever Towers is a suspended animation home for rich people. Like you're rich, and so they you, you freeze yourself to stay there so that you know until they discover the cure for whatever killed you. Interesting. Do they do? Well, I guess they're all holding up for reverse aging. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, he he questions an old lady who tells him that her son was being blackmailed by a guy named Jurgen Monks. Dread. Oh, and when she says that, she's like, "All right, just." kill me instead of refreeze me it's, no, it's not worth going if my son's dead it's really horrible yeah so uh dread goes to investigate he finds monks at a shuggy hall which is some sort of spe- a future pool type established type yeah. game it's weird yeah uh monks runs and dread gives chase he tr- monks tries to escape by sliding down a laundry chute but buddy it's actually a garbage disposal <laughs> It basically and, just, oh God, it's got his legs. just eats him up and completely and completely kills him. Dreads just left holding his vest, which God. luckily happens to have his address and front door key in it. Hooray. Yeah, they investigate and they find a treasure trove of evidence on all the city's top people, and it looks like Dread was blackmailing everybody, or or like like Monks was was blackmailing everybody. But Dread's suspicious because he doesn't know where Monks got all this info about people. That doesn't add up. Yeah, so he follows up at Forever Towers, 
where he finds out that the head doctor of, of, of the Forever Towers is lightly defrosting people and stealing their secret information. He's basically making them delirious and like interrogating them about their worst possible secrets. Exactly. So he, the doctor and Dredd have a big gunfight. Uh, Dredd's helmet gets frozen by an ice gun, which prevents he gets frozen onto his head, of course. So we can't see, but that is yeah something. It's like the perfect timing to bring back some Judge Dredd powers. Yeah. So th- even though he can't see, that doesn't stop his homing bullet. And in the end, the doctor is ironically sentenced to being frozen in suspended animation until medical science develops a cure for being shot in the face. So he can then serve his full sentence. Yeah. Yeah, his life term. (laughs) So it's so Judge Dredd, it's amazing. I just like... If we, there was a Simpsons episode where um, Monty Bur- where it's the future and Mr. Burns is um, it's a spin in animation and Smithers is like oh someday we'll unfreeze you Mr. Burns once we can find the cure to 17 stab wounds in the back <laughs> and the scientists in the room are like he, he like asks the scientists how they're doing he's like we're up to 15 hooray <laughs> I remember that it's so amazing <laughs> So the next story is another Walter telling stories um, story where Walter's talking about dread at the laundromat in, uh, in, in the robot laundry, basically. Yeah. This time he tells a story about a kid that got beat up while impersonating a judge and trying to stop some burglars. This kid, Ralphie, um, is then is an orphan and is unloved by his foster parents. So Dredd convinced Academy Principal uh, Griffin, who's currently Chief Judge, but not at the moment, to let Ralphie join the Academy, despite being way too old to do so. Like, usually you, you join the Academy at, like, five, and Ralphie is, like, nine or ten or something. Right. And already, like, I mean, before this point, he, like, when he intervened with this thing and got the crap kicked out of him, like, Judge Tritt's like, dude, you keep doing this, and people are just beating you up. Yeah. It's like, so he's got, like, this history of just, like, not listening to people, I guess. Yeah. So, one, uh, th- things are going pretty good, but then one day Ralph, uh, Ralphie slips out of the academy to try to stop a truck hijacker. Dredd comes along and stops yeah. the crime, but Ralphie has committed a serious breach of protocol by sneaking out of the academy. Which, bad news, dude, there's only, like, one verdict for that one yep yeah he's kicked out and he's sent to a regular orphanage which is a bummer of course uh dread seems to be upset by this but only kind of a little because he's now just super hard ju- judge dread basically yep he regrets like giving ralphie hope essentially which jeez, man and it seems like he still visits ralphie at the or at the orphanage now and then i guess right and like I mean, the way that Walter puts it, he's like, oh, he's like a real surrogate father. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's Judge Dredd, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we'll see how it turns out. Uh, Ralphie will, we'll see Ralphie now and then as the comic progresses. And they'll have a big showdown in the early 2000s. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So next prog, um, there's a small trading post on the cursed earth that gets attacked by the doomsday dogs. Oh, oh this is weird. Yeah, they're like these uh, raider guys, and they all wear masks of different breeds of dogs, basically. Which you know, cute, but also had what? I'd say more terrifying than cute. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, in a big way. Especially when it turns out that there's a whole army out front with their leader, Father Earth, who's an old guy who's basically completely covered in plants and stuff that are, like, growing out of his skin. It's really gruesome, but also, like... I can't tell if it's hippie scare or or hippie inspired Judge Dread related violence. Oh, I think it's definitely a sort of, sort of a combination of the two. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. So he sentences this trading post couple to death, as, as you do, and then swears to destroy Mega City One as well. Uh, and, that oh, okay. go for it. Uh, just that retribution will arrive on that cursed city, and then immediately afterwards. Two hippie babes start watering him with watering cans. Absolutely. You, know, you gotta maintain his crazy vine growths, buddy. <laughs> like, that's it's not... bizarre. In, that's not easy, you know? <laughs> I guess, but then he... And it's only after they say, oh, like, thank you. Today is doomsday! And it's like, whoa, all right. I mean, that seems pretty par for the course for your average cult leader, TBH, you know? Yeah, no, it's fairly true. <laughs> Super creepy. <laughs> but so, um, you know, there's an army amassing outside Mega City 1. Judge Dredd wants to handle them, but Judge Pepper says no. They need as many judges as possible to provide security for the Mega City 1 mayoral election. Which, again, this comes up. There's a mayor of Mega City 1? I guess so. Um, I guess he must be like a figurehead for the Justice Department, basically. We did see the current mayor during the Judge Cal story, just kind of like um, cow towing to Cal, like he made Cal, like Cal made him cluck like a chicken, basically. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not a big deal, I'd say. It doesn't seem like it, but people seem all up in arms about it. Well, like I think as a figurehead, it's a good way to distract the populace. You know what I mean? No yeah, fair dues. Um, so. Everybody's watching, so everybody's watching, oh, sorry, blah, blah, blah. There's massive demonstrations going on for the different mayoral candidates, and also tons of crime going on as well. Like, Judge Dredd stops a guy that's got, like, a thousand wallets that he's stolen over the course of the day and stuff. God. Everybody's watching election coverage, even the robots, the Mega City One Power Tower, at least until Big Cyril, the overseer, comes so over awesome. and tells them to knock it off. I'm a big, I'm a huge Big Cyril fan. I got to say, he's just like, hey, you guys can't even vote. Get back to work. Exactly. So this tower, the power tower, is built on top of a huge bore drill that gets geothermal energy from the Earth's core. It's way safer than like a nuclear pile or anything like that, but it'd be a disaster if some if someone ha if something happened to it. But there's no way that that would happen unless these guys in robes who are getting the tour of the power tower currently are actually the dang doomsday dogs. Which they are. No one checked. It's like, literally, that's the thought process of the robot giving the tour as he kind of notices that the guys in robes getting the tour seem very, very uh, suspicious. Yeah, which, like, you didn't notice that the entire way in that the creepy hooded figures with creepy glowy eyes. He's got, a lot, his, he's got a lot on his mind, you know? I guess. I mean, he's a tour robot. He's only got one thing that should be on his mind. Uh, he could be a couple. He could be a couple different kinds of robot, honestly. Okay. So uh, the demon dogs plant explosives on the drill, and they prepare. The doomsday dogs are attacking the power towers, lava pipes. Oh, jeez. So uh, they shoot a robot through the mouth, 
<laughs> it's awesome. It's so horrific in, like, a little way. Yeah, so Dredd leads a patrol to try to stop them. They manage to take them all down before they can set off their explosives and all is well. But Dredd's worried that these uh, no-good muties might have some other trick up their sleeves. Especially because Father Earth seems very smug out in the Cursed Earth. Getting trimmed by his babes. Mm-hmm. So Dredd sort of rides out to sort of run them off, but it's no good. They're like, yeah, we'll take you down. Meanwhile, as the election nears, we learn that everybody in Mega City One votes via video, via home video panel. So everyone watches TV, basically. Yeah, and then presses a button on like their their remote, essentially. <laughs> At the same time, in sort of a five minute window, essentially, Dread realizes that this voting stuff will cause a massive uh, power demand, which will activate the auxiliary lava feed pipes. He has robots check those pipes, and they find more bombs in them. God damn. Yeah, the bots try valiantly to remove those bombs as Dredd tries to stop the vote from happening, but it's too late for both of them. The bomb goes off and the power tower explodes into a massive urban volcano. It's really horrific. Yeah, next episode, meet the Holocaust Squad. I'm kind of interested to see what that means. Yeah. (laughs) Because... It's a little intense. I think it's the uh, massive disaster Holocaust squad as opposed to uh, the World War II-based Holocaust squad. Got you. <laughs> well, speaking of something slightly World War II-focused, I don't know, survival? Well, speaking of giant disasters... Oh, yeah. good at this. Yeah. Damn. It's harder than it looks. Thrill 2, Disaster 1990. No, not the premiere of British sitcom Heil Honey, I'm Home, about a suburban Hitler living next door to a Jewish family. (laughs) Which this almost is? It's the massive flooding of England thanks to a nuclear explosion of the polar ice cap. Written by script robot Gary Finley Day with art robots Carlos Pino and Alan Willow with lettering robot Steve Potter. And again, this is nine years before invasion, right? Yeah, man. You know, you just flood it out, ring the country out a little bit, you're good to go. God, no wonder this country succumbed to a massive attack after <laughs> population was In- gone. Indeed. So, uh, Bill Savage, who I may or may not constantly confuse with advice columnist Dan Savage, is holed <laughs> up on the roof of an apartment building only two stories up from the water. Downstairs, a dude in, like, I'm going to say a very Nazi-ish uniform. No, he's, like, he's 90% Nazi. It's just that his mustache is too long. It's true, yeah. He's he's organizing the men of the building to go steal a bunch of guns from the Imperial War Museum, Demolition Man style. And then they salute him in a very odd fashion, given their British heritage. They definitely give several non-ironic uh, Roman salutes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Anyhow, Savage gets drafted in as well, so let's head out. And kind of forcibly, I guess? Yeah. I mean, he was like, I don't trust these guys. He's not as stoked about it as you'd, as you'd want to be when you're um, joining a bunch of fascists in a gun-running uh, operation. <laughs> <laughs> so they head to the, muse- the museum. The bros from the building managed to get a bunch of guns and bayonets and stuff. All they need is firing pins and ammo, which I appreciate. They don't just have, like, live ordnance hanging on the walls of the museum. Um, 
Meanwhile, as they're doing this, uh, Savage looks around and he finds a duck or a D-U-K-W, an amphibious truck from World War II. And everybody's getting all excited over their guns, but holy smokes, it's Earl Watt and the Crawford mob! Yeah, as Savage is fueling up his new lorry, some jerks from another building have gotten the same idea as that Martin guy, and a fight is broken out over these uh, currently unusable guns. Uh, Savage comes rolling in in the duck, and he runs over all the guns from the museum, destroying them, and then heads out into the new underwater future of London. Which, you know, he's a lorry driver, so here's a truck that is also a boat. Absolutely. (laughs) Using his powers for good. Totally. So Savage is on the road with his duck. He stops to help a guy under attack from giant water rats. Which would have been awesome, except that he's like a snidey little shit. Yeah, this guy is Professor Bamber, a doctor of hydrology, which is basically how water affects stuff, I guess. And he sort of demands that Savage help him in his water research. Which, I mean, Savage is not into. Yeah, totally not. But he still gives Bamber a ride to Piccadilly Circus. Uh, I hear that, yeah. I, I, I wrote a whole song parody, but I'm not going to do it because um, <laughs> I'm tired tonight. But basically, Bamber wants to go to, goes to a sporting goods store to get a wetsuit um, from the diving section of the department store to continue his, his hydrology studies. Uh, yeah. Savage, Savage leads them there and starts driving through London. Um, along the way, he tries to help out some other people, but it turns out to be an ambush, and those people are no good jerks. They throw a brick at his face and then cut his face. Yeah, it's awesome. So he kind of realizes that, like, hey, there's a bunch of, like, jerks out here. I shouldn't just leave Bamber alone at that sporting goods store. I'll go back and help him. And what do you get for being a good guy? He gets shot in the gut by a harpoon gun. And then, da-da-da, origin story of shotgun skills. Yeah, he wakes up several hours later with the harpoon still in his gut and the duck gone. Now it's payback time. He goes to the hunting goods section of the store and grabs a long-barreled shotgun. It's time to go duck hunting. Dude, in the coolest possible way. Shotgun origin established. That's so great. So, from the top and observation platform, Savage finds his duck in front of the Bank of England. He runs rooftop to rooftop and finds his way to the bank, where, in turn, he sees Bamber is using his wetsuit to underwater blowtorch his way into the vault, which is a good skill to have. I mean, underwater welding will always uh, pay the bills if you're willing to accept a lot of danger in your life. Is it really that dangerous? I mean... It's more dangerous than, like, staying home and being a family man, I'll say that much. That's fair. I mean, I guess you're underwater, you gotta monitor oxygen, but it's not like the fire is gonna catch on fire. I think it's more just like you're dealing with oil rigs, and, you know, anytime Um, you're you're deep underwater, it multiplies the danger of anything quite a bit. Yeah, sharks, bears of the sea. Always. So, um... Savage thinks he's been betrayed by Bamber until he sees that Bamber himself is being forced to do this by by a pair of no-good thugs. Which want money because, honestly, it's the best possible reason that I like for thugs to do these sort of things. Like, money's always going to be worth something. And I think that specifically because they're at the Bank of England, there's a bunch of gold bars in this vault as well. And gold bars spend even when cash doesn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So... 
so they make Savage help Bamber open up the vault. As they are opening it, they hear something on the other side of the vault door, and Savage gets kind of a smile on his face, and they wink to each other. <laughs> As they and, open, uh, yeah, yeah. As they open the bank vault door, a thousand billion water murder rats come streaming out of it. Bamber and Savage hide underwater where the rats don't go, and the thugs are quickly eaten alive by a huge swarm of rats. Second superpower confirmed: ability to kill with anything. It's true. Textually. <laughs> so the guys investigate the the bolts and the vault, and only some quick shotgunning by Savage keeps Bamber from being eaten by the king rat that stayed behind. Third superpower confirmed: amazing shot with a shotgun. Also, I like the continued theme that um, any swarm of rats has one rat. That's the king rat, and he's the one who magically controls all the rest of the rats. <laughs> this was also the case when we had those flying rats in the Cursed Earth saga. I'm just yeah, saying. What? <laughs> so. They're now friends, and the pair pile back into the duck, and it's off to more adventures. I miss Silk. Oh, the Bamber's a way worse silk, buddy. He doesn't even have a mustache. So. I know. <laughs> Just a pompous jerk. It's mm-hmm. like they took the silk from the uh, from the annuals and stuff. Could be, yeah. So Savage and Bamber make their way to Harrods, which is, of course, a famous department store in London. There they find a bunch of, like, common salt-of-the-earth folk having a tussle with a bunch of rich folks for supplies. I mean, there's only one group that's going to win that situation. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) Savage fires a shot to try to calm things down, but not before slapping some guy that's trying to attack him from the back in the face with the stock of his shotgun. Really great. Peace peace prevails, and soon a platoon of Royal Marines shows up on Zodiacs, and they kind of try to put an end to the trouble. They heard a shot, and they're like, what's going on? And both the rich and the poor people at Harrods agree that um, Savage is a no good Nick, um, <laughs> like like guy who thinks he's a, who thinks he's big time, but just butt out of things. The uh, Marines uh, confiscate uh, Savage's shoddy and kick him out of Harrods. Which, all right, whatever, fine. Then you guys kill each other, and I'm Bill Savage. I don't have to care. Exactly. Savage and Bamber just sort of head out, eating some food they stole from the department store, talking about future plans. They look at the Marines heading back to the store, but Savage is suspicious, and we see why as there's a bunch of new dead bodies floating in the water, the original Marines that kicked him out of Harrods in the first place. They must have been... Yeah, they must have been killed and all their gear and clothes and stuff stolen by a bunch of baddies who are now about to attack the guys at Harrods flying under a false flag. P.S. Next Prague bloodbath. That does not bode well. Exactly. So yeah, man, Disaster 1990. Dude, it's uh, maybe not garbage. It's, I mean, it's no original invasion, but what could be, you know? Yeah, I mean, what I will say, these are the points in its favor. It's a survival story. Mm-hmm. Um, that still acts like it uses the same we're going to a popular place in London as opposed to a popular place in Britain and then some stuff happens, right? Yeah. So at least you get like some localization about some things. You get some really shitty people that Bill Savage has to slap some sense into or shoot with the shotgun or in some <laughs> cases get eaten by rats. Yeah. Um, and really it's like even this young, he, ten years prior, or nine years prior to his 
like even better escapades he is murdering people just fine <laughs> yeah i will mention one kind of little continuity thing i kind of liked in this episode which is that um in the second and fourth progs of this month savage's shotgun is a double-barreled hunting shotgun and yep. in the third prog it's a pump action single-barreled shotgun oh really yep the fuck freak out you know there's different artists on those two on between those two progs so it's sort of uh, how it goes you know no i'm not gonna pick nits on that one absolutely no i just thought like, it was kind of funny no that's like amazing like <laughs> detail buddy hey, i keep i'm i'm tapping my eye right my eyes right now and being like i keep a lookout you know yeah dude a little bit of audio cues on this or a little bit of visual cues in this audio podcast anyhow <laughs> Speaking of the uh, ABCs of podcasting. No, speaking of non-thrills, no. nerve center. <laughs> so it's time for all the letters and things like that from the kids at home. Hooray! Oh, no. You Never like it. I hate it. <laughs> so, Prog 120 is the robot issue. Oh, yeah. Best issue. Uh, Rojaws answers some letters. And there's a short story about a lonely ship's computer on a dying spaceship. The okay. prog ends with some more pages from the Book of Robots that we saw start last week. It's awesome. Also, yeah. uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Feelygood. Yeah, it, yeah, there's a bunch of uh, both classic clockwork robots and some excellent 2080 robots like Dr. Feelygood, Call Me Kenneth, and a Heavy Metal Kid. Also, Walter's there, but I didn't want to include him in the list of awesome robots. <laughs> uh, Prog 121, there's bad news, Fox, because the next issue, the price of the Prog is going up to 12 pence per issue. Boo! I mean, once again, I'm not really going to be on this. As long as the groat price does not increase, we're good. You get international currencies, Fox. <laughs> Listen, all I'm saying is... I'm living in the future buying something from the past. The growths are still the same. That's fair. So, <laughs> to make up for this price increase, Tharg will start giving out two 10-pound prizes per prog and raise the lower prize to three, to three pounds. This is insanity. How will they save their money? Indeed. The, the rest of the, letter, the, of the letters are pretty minor. Mostly Tharg questions and accusations, which is a pretty common theme, actually, of this week's... <laughs> Or of, of this episode's uh, letter pages. Um, Sorry. Yeah. There's more 2000 AD robots in the little magazine section, like uh, Charlie, Metquake, and the Boots from Robo Hunter. Charlie was such a cool character. Yeah, man. Human, uh, giant lighthouse. Good times. Yeah, there's also Artie Gruber, who is a cyborg, not a robot, so I call yeah, foul. What the hell? Yeah, total foul. And that then ain't there's, fair at all. Totally. And then there's some fictional and semi-fictional robots, including Robbie the Robot, and like yeah. some, some Doctor Who guy, like Daleks and Cybermen, neither of which may in fact be robots based on whichever mythology you're currently using. Sometimes Daleks are robots, sometimes they're like power suits. Anyway. <laughs> that was awesome. Man, I know terrible, nerdy things. Um... <laughs> I mean, clearly they're coming in handy. I know mm. none of these things, and I feel shame. Ah, uh, don't do that, buddy. Prog 121, it's a happy 10th anniversary to the moon landing, which is nice. And they include instructions for putting together the robot uh, booklet. Hooray! <laughs> With a little screwdriver, because you might need one. Indeed. 
the, uh, the final pages of the robot book as a feature on bomb disposal robots, which are the main robots that are still used today. <laughs> and there's a, there's a feature about Isaac Asimov and his three laws of robotics, which we don't use in 2000 AD. Stop encouraging these nerds, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, they're just, they're his laws of robotics. They're not like the laws of robotics. That's what I keep saying. Finally, there's a small board game called the uh, Rojas Robo Race Game, which it seems... boring and terrible. It looks very sorry-inspired to me, I'd say. Yeah, but like... But also very small, yeah, not very exciting for sure. It's really just art, like, it's randomness. It definitely seems a real step down from the labyrinthine nature of the Cursed Earth game, which required like 10 progs to give you all the pieces for and stuff. It's ridiculous. You gotta find a midpoint. Eventually we'll get there when we when we start playing the slain RPG in the early 80s in 2008. Oh, no. <laughs> so, in prog 123... Tharg's editorial and several letters question his reality, which I don't appreciate. Also, <laughs> uh, a kid has submitted a cool one-page comic that seems to be about clones, but it's hard to tell because they're the narration because it's it's too tiny to read any of the of the narration boxes. Yes. Um, also, Rojas hosts a movie article, which has a bunch of random stuff, but it's mostly about a movie called The Spaceman and King Arthur, which you know. Here in the States, it was released under the name Unidentified Flying Oddball, and it's mostly significant for starring Dennis Duggan, who would go on to direct many late-period Adam Sandler movies. Oh. Like Big Daddy to Grown Ups 2, he directed all those. Mm. <laughs> There's also sort of teaser articles for the Star Trek motion picture, Empire Strikes Back, and an extended cut of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Which, uh, cool. Yeah, and then the prog ends with another ad of Tharg explaining why you should reserve progs regularly with your local news agent. Do it! Yeah, I mean, there uh, he shows seven letters from people who are like, I didn't get it! And he's like, yeah, well, you would if you were smart. No one to blame but yourself, Earthlets. So. And then Jif has a commercial on the back. Yeah, it's, it's funny, it's just... There's this huge, like, full-color, like, sci-fi-themed peanut butter commercial, basically. Yeah, but I do like that they call it a dessert topping and not jelly like what we put on top of toast. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a dessert. It's not, it's, it's like, like, just this giant sugar problem. That's why preserves are dope. Uh, that's fair enough. <laughs> But speaking of things that are not fair, but in fact awesome. Okay. Thrill 3 A B C Warriors. ABC Warriors! ABC Warriors! It's awesome. And, like, the art is beautiful and the robots are cool and, like, things explode and it's awesome. Yes. Ah. The script robots Pat Mills. The art robots are Brendan McCarthy, Mike McMahon, and Kev O'Neill. The lettering robot is Pete, is Peter Knight. This first page is exactly why you should read. ABC. Yeah. So the so we we open with Vogon robots continuing to do a retreat ahead of the ABC Warriors, and there's this awesome splash page of like the retreat to Volgaska. It's called. 
and it's just a bunch of like defeated robots and some of them are like riding horses and other of them are like whipping human slaves forcing the humans to drag tanks through like this icy environment and stuff yeah, you're looking ruined it just it looks extremely awesome Meanwhile, the, a- the ABC Warriors themselves are just chilling out in, like, a Chateau de Vogue, basically. Yep. Their new, obviously evil officer decides it's time for a test. Words come. <laughs> Don't insult me like you're Joe Pineapple's buddy. <laughs> I, love, I love Joe Pineapples. So, um, word comes down that the old guard of the Vulgan war droids, the ones that were decommissioned for being too kill-crazy, have been brought back online and are headed for the warriors unless our tanks stop them. So, and so, of course... Yeah, so of course the commander pulls back the tanks, causing a confrontation. The old guard are super awesome. They're led by old Horny, who's this robot that's uh, basically 100% horns and chainmail. Like, that's all he is. He's got a cool electro sword. Totally. Why on earth, Conrad, would this weird guy, General, pull out these tanks? He wants to see what the ABC Warriors can do. If Hammerstein's the kind of ruthless, kick-ass commander that he needs for this secret mission that he's got. Oh, that's awesome. Buddy, he is. (laughs) He kind of beats the crap out of everybody. They fight everybody off. Joe Pineapples kills a bunch of dudes never once getting out of the bathtub. His head not even attached to his shoulders. He was upset about having his bath time disrupted. Hey, quack quack, folks. Meanwhile... (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Hammerstein himself kills old Horny, stabbing him right in the face with a power sword, and he's passed the test. Now, it's time to recruit more members for his uh, elite team for this secret mission, starting with Mongrel! Which I was not excited about, given his design on that first splash page. He gets more and more awesome as the comic goes on and like actually takes on an effect, and his character is amazing. Oh, I disagree. I love Mongrel from the start, man. He's this big, kind of round, gorilla-shaped guy full of non-matching parts with a big chain coming off of his chin. It's pretty great. Like, I just, I really love his story, Conrad. It's true. Yeah, it's awesome, man. We, we start off with Mongrel basically kill crazy like fighting off like friend friendly troops as hammerstein joe pineapples and happy shrapnel head over to him and then we get a flashback and we learn that mongrel was a ba robo paratrooper that crashed during an assault on the city of zarnheim um in the crash only his head survived so I guess they skimped on everything other than their heads. It's true, yeah, I guess so. And it was picked up by a beautiful battlecomber, which is a scavenger of parts in the battlefield named Lara. She took pity on Mongrel's still animate head and built him a body out of scrap, but it couldn't move without a jump start, which was only provided once they gave him over to the Volgs and they used electroshock to torture him for troop information. But what happened to Lara? Well, Mongrel lives and basically kills his way out of the Volgon encampment and then kills his way to Lara's house. But it turns out that after they gave uh, Mongrel over to the Volgons, the Volgons killed them. Yeah, with like friggin' jerks. Yeah, now she's been killed by the Volgs and Mongrel has a scarred mind and is killed crazy, as I mentioned before. Can he be tamed? Lara! 
Exactly. The the third prog is kind of quick to describe because it's mostly badass robot fighting action. Uh, yeah, you just need to read it because you should read it. <laughs> Basically, Hammerstein and Mongrel fight a bunch until suddenly they're attacked by Mongrel, but, but sorry, by a Volgon commandos, and it's time for super fighting. And then the ghost of Lara is like, avenge me! It's true. Mongrel kills like a thousand Volgons. <laughs> but it's about to be smashed by two Volgon like tanks or bulldozers or something. And only quick thinking by Hammerstein pulling him away saves him. Uh, he owes him a boon. Yeah, because of this, the two become uneasy buddies. And the four ABC warriors are off to find their next member, Goddamn Deadlock. My favorite character so far. <laughs> so, okay, let me if set... you notice, he speaks, and all of the other deadlocks speak like humans. Their let bubbles me... are not, um, yeah. like, whatever. No, they got their own thing. So let me set the scene here, Fox. Okay. The Watchtower is a fortress satellite and home to the Order of the Knights Marshal, a bunch of badass robot warriors they're basically uh the dark angels chapter of the space of uh, warhammer 40,000 space marines so awesome and are the coolest their leader is uh dealing tarot cards as the base is hit by a meteor and the satellite falls to earth as fate intended there's just a big there's an awesome picture of just this satellite being hit by a by a meteor the whole thing falling to earth and a huge war bubble that just says the cards never lie dude and like the city looks like the crystal city and it's on this goddamn claw flying satellite awesome super suit it's great real talk the first time i read this comic uh that page was my facebook cover for like for like five months I can understand why. It looks amazing. It's one of my favorite. Pax Robotum. Yeah, there's just these huge uh, banners, and it says, that say, like, Pax Robotum and stuff. It's really arresting, and it's one of my favorite early 2000 AD images, like, overall. Someone saw this in their head, and they were, when they were thinking of who... They were, like, pitching what robots around a table, and they were like, oh, well, that one. Well, like, I mean, this is the same art... I mean, again, this is one of these things where you really see the influence... I mean, you know, again, I've, I've, I've been a big uh, Warhammer fan, and this is where you really see... Um, we really see the influence of 2000 AD on what Warhammer will become, on especially Definitely. Warhammer 40K. And because this stuff is written, but is drawn by Kev O'Neill, this is also where Nemesis the War. This is like the second part of the genesis of a Nemesis the Warlock, basically, if you ask me. Dude. Um. So. <laughs> The ABC Warriors and a bunch of Volgon fighters both move to converge on this crashed base, the, uh, the satellite of the Order of the Knights Marshal. Hammerstein explains that the Knights Marshal are the ultimate ABC Warriors. They're so awesome, they've developed sweet mental powers, which is crazy because they don't even have like brains, they're just robots. Uh <laughs> Dude, it's the hours of meditation that they've done. Mm -hmm. And because of their trustworthiness and discipline, they are in charge of documenting Volgon war crimes and executing Volgon war criminals. Which is awesome. Yeah. They just hang them. Totally, yeah. The warriors arrive to find the fallen watchtower under attack and the knights fighting them with guns and swords. And as the drawbridge comes down, they're like, someone mentions, like, oh, they're giving up. Nope. It's just Deadlock riding out on a massive 
like gun motorcycle with a mace in one hand and a sword in the other. It says repent on the front of the of the. Uh, it, it's got a hover cycle. It's got a cool shield on it. It says repent. Oh, it's so good. It's oh it's man, awesome. <laughs> in the end, the the uh, knights the, the knights marshal are victorious, and the captured Volgon general is tried and executed by the knights. Hammerstein tries to recruit Deadlock, and Deadlock agrees on one condition. The two of them must duel. If Hammerstein wins, Deadlock will join. If he loses, then Hammerstein dies. Which, you know, I mean, like, really? Next, Prague. See the secret powers of Deadlock. I mean, like, does he really want to kill Hammerstein? Yeah. That's just... Well, we're going to... I mean, honestly, when we learn the secret powers of, of Hammerstein, we'll, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more of it. But, like, you know, these guys are powered by, like, black magic and chaos and stuff. It's pretty cool, honestly. All right. But I it's, mean, look, I'm bought in. Yeah, but I'm it's not... big time. It's real cool, but it's also kind of dangerous. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, what's a little bit of killing? Hey, s- small price to pay. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hey, speaking of killing, or even overkilling... Oh my god. Thrill 4, Project Overkill. Oh, damn. Pilot guy having a bad time. That's right. Script robots Kelvin Gosnell, art robots Sir Ian Gibson, and Jesus Rizondo, letter robot Jack Potter. So, Kenny Harris, airplane pilot is investigating the emergency landing of his plane in the desert sections of Ohio and (laughs) the subsequent attack by shadowy government guys and the crew passengers disappearing. And the sheriff's taken none of his guff, which surprises me because he's a small-town sheriff and they're all about the conspiracy. Well, this is the other kind of of town sheriff that kind of just says, uh, no, there's no monsters out there in the hills. we got to keep the uh, Labor Day festivities going uh, normally. Oh, you know? yeah, he's like the, the horror movie sheriff. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Exactly. So Kenny gets the local sheriff to drive him back out to the barren Ohio desert to... <laughs> to check the road where his plane landed but he finds that there's a road crew there tearing up all the asphalt oh no so i guess we can't really check it and they're like man i didn't look at the asphalt before we tore it up that'd be stupid i mean busy road working men (laughs) they return to the sheriff's office where the sheriff calls the airline and finds that harris actually hasn't reported to work for a week and that he's wanted by the uspd in connection to a pair of cop killings which, hey, time to pull out your shotgun and throw a man in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny gets tossed in the clink. Meanwhile, the shadowy government guys with numbers on their clothes seem to have this all planned out to various probabilities. And uh, they move their plan forward by having the uh, Agent 47 attack Harris in his jail cell. Kenny subdues him, but then the attacker spontaneously combusts. He burns so hot that it melts the steel beams of the jail cell. So that's another jet-based conspiracy involved in this here uh, Project Overkill. (laughs) What the hell? He just bursts into flames and then melts and then Exactly. Yeah. Harris escapes and is on the run, and now he's killed three cops. Oh, no! (laughs) Kenny meets with Dave Marti, his old buddy from Vietnam, who's in the CIA. He 
saved his life in a plane. That's right. Dave uses the CIA supercomputer to run down the altered flight records and stuff. They realize that they've been tampered with, but it's not clear where. Kenny then mentions Project Overkill, and Dave freaks out. He's heard of it and tells Kenny to meet him at his house that night. Kenny arrives at the house. Fast. Yeah. He finds the lights off and one of those black uniformed guys inside. Kenny takes out one and the other one and a second uh, black uniform conspiracy guy gets shot by the dying Dave. As Dave dies, he gives Kenny the Project Overkilled files and now Kenny has the answers and the honchos deep in the Ohio desert move their experiment into the next gear. So I'm just keep harping on this because I keep talking about the desert in Ohio and that is funny to me. <laughs> I looked up Great Ohio Desert. The only place it exists is as part of uh, the David Foster Wallace book, Broom of the System. Amen. Yeah, it's a black sand desert that some crazy guy made in a very David Foster Wallacey kind of situation. Anyway. So, in other words, ain't no desert in Ohio. Yep. Kenny, uh, there's no U.S. Police Department either. Kenny reads, <laughs> reads the Project Overkill file, and basically the idea was like to build a storage library for all of human knowledge in case of nuclear war. They, like, dug a big pit in the Ohio desert. They turned it into a huge, impenetrable underground fortress and a hidden base. But when it was activated, the whole place collapsed in on itself, and so it was lost forever. I guess. So I guess there's, like, a cover-up about this disaster? Or maybe that disaster was faked, and Overkill is still running, but it's gone bad or something? I like, guess, but, like... I'm not sure how a library of all humanity's knowledge goes bad and starts killing people, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, that's... I, there's Skynet, dude. I, I think this stuff just happens when you put all of the human knowledge together. Uh, that's fair, actually. So, Kenny... And, but I, what I find more surprising is that this man, after killing three policemen is able to rent a frickin' car. He only killed one for real. The other two are just frame-up jobs by Project Overkill. I mean, you know, you probably just don't rent your car out to anybody. His, it's, well, I don't know if they run background checks in 1978. Dude, what are they gonna yeah, run it on? Fair. They're gonna, they're gonna <laughs> go on the internet and look up this guy's name? Fair. Um, that's right, it's fair. Uh, <laughs> so... Kenny has now realized that Project Overkill has probably has some crazy predictive things, which they do, and he he assumes that Overkill will predict that he'll go to the president with this info. So instead, he decides to be unpredictable and head to Project Overkill himself. I mean, I guess there's a truck following him, and Kenny retaliates by shooting the truck and causing it to crash. He investigates it, and he grabs the driver, who then spontaneously combusts again, and he realizes that's because of this chip that's built into his head. Kenny realizes that... Oh, snap. Yeah, I yeah. was passed out for a long time, too. I, yeah, he thinks he has one of those chips in his head also. Uh-oh. So, I guess what kind of creepy, terrible thing should you do to yourself in that situation? Uh, drive as fast as you can through blasting through the front gate of a U.S. Air Force base then apparently that's fine nobody talks to you about it so you, so Kenny then <laughs> runs into a medical building at the Air Force Base he finds a neurosurgeon named Peter Schaefer and uh, he has Schaefer perform unanesthetized brain surgery on him to remove the chip in the back of his head 
but not before asking him to remove his shirt, but really just his jacket was removed. (laughs) (laughs) They're successful in taking out the chip, and Schaefer agrees to help take down Project Overkill, so it's time to steal a plane. Meanwhile, at Evil Overkill HQ, the removal of the chip means that fun and games are over, and it's time to erase Kenny Harris. Next episode, Electric Death. This is a, so a couple of things. First off, the evil dude looks a lot like Dr. Claw. Yeah, there's definitely, he's definitely sitting behind a chair, and you can't see him, and he just sort of gives orders from behind the chair. Yeah, very Goldfinger-esque. Definitely. Uh, do, I I might like this story a lot. <laughs> it's inter- it's an interesting kind of con- like closing conspiracy story and stuff like that, for sure. It's, in- it's yeah. kind of interesting. It, it feels a bit Mach 1-ish, but um, uh, Visible Man also kind of, right? Uh, like it's, 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 it's a story about being on the run, which is very Visible Man. And then it's got a ton of ridiculous over-the-top action, which is very Mach 1. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. It seems a good mixture, and I'm cautiously optimistic that this is maybe good. Nice. Hey, I'm, I would never gainsay you on what you think is good or not good. I'm hoping it's good. All right. Those, I stick to those words very firmly. Nice. Hey, speaking of things that probably aren't that good. Uh, that definitely aren't that good? Thrill 5, Dan Dare. I mean, I just called this the story of how Dan Dare got his comeuppance. <laughs> uh, script Robot's Tom Tully, and then Art and Letter Robot is Dave Gibbons pulling double duty. Yeah, so... He really doesn't think about what he does. It's he pretty... thinks that what he does is okay. Yeah, he just keeps, he just rolls through life and assumes the pieces will get picked up after him, you know? So, and just thinks his choice, I, anyway. So we'll recall that Dandar and Sondar are wanted by the SASA, the, uh, the you know, space government, basically. Um, so Dandar and Sondar, who apparently, I guess Tom Tully has gone through some archives and just remembered that Sondar is also president of Venus, because they mentioned a couple times yeah. in this prog, and then everybody for, forgets about it before and after. Um, but, <laughs> but, but they're on the run. Um, they blow up the guns of the troops that are coming after them and then steal a commuter bus. They fly the bus to the SASA Space Colonies Bureau, where Dan hopes to find some help, some help, some friendly government guys. But no, instead, it's an evil mustache bureaucrat. I mean, and this is after he shoots some guys and blows some things up. He's definitely he's been already killed to get to this point. He's definitely been blowing up and shooting at people to get to this point where he hopes to, where he assumes he'll be able to clear his name, basically by just kind of getting to base or by, by just shouting base at SASHQ. You know, <laughs> um, I mean, that's what it seems like. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Dan at. Dan asks how they know he's a traitor, and suddenly Princess Myriad shows up. She indicts Dare, says he's a lackey of the Mekon. Oh no! What a total jerk! Like, I mean, that can't be her question mark. Well, the last time they left, she did say like, "Hey, you're a hero of our people. Consider uh, this planet your second home and stuff." So this is a definite, complete change of character by Myriad. So 100% to double cross because we're watching Dan Dare. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyhow, it doesn't matter because according to the mustache bureaucrat, Dan Dare is just a loser who's reached the end of the road. Next up, uh, or, and he gets zapped by a uh, zapper in the mustache bureaucrat's desk. 
Which he's un- yeah, he's unconscious. They take away the claw, f- the cosmic claw from him. Next time, trial by clone. So I, I really like trial by clone. So I just put that in there. <laughs> so Dan and Sondar, yeah, Dan and Sondar are taken to be tried, and the court martial panel is five clones of the same dude. <laughs> Uh, all cloned from this person because they were the bestest, best judges ever. Yeah, that's fair, I and mean, that's where Judge Dredd comes from. But um, yeah, fair. But anyhow, they're very anti-Dare, both for helping the Mekon, for losing the Star Fort, and for not finishing his original mission to investigate the Lost World satisfactorily. Once again, no one brings up that he has destroyed several planets that he has, like, emancipated several species of its existence and then murdered tons of people, also his crew, also the people getting here, also all of the people. Hey, many of those planets had crazy monsters on them, and we don't know for sure that that wasn't part of his mission. (laughs) I mean, fair, but again, what wasn't part of his mission was killing people just to get here. No one brings up his murder. I mean, I think he did a lot of knocking people out and shooting people's guns and stuff. He didn't kill. A, he didn't really kill a lot of people. That's what I'd say. He drove an explosive thing into another explosive thing, and there were people flying away from the explosion. Ah, uh, they could have just been flown, flown three, flown free, and not be hurt. You know. Anyhow, <laughs> Dan is found guilty of everything: high treason, murder, aiding and abetting. The Mekon. There's only one thing to do. Yeah, there's like one thing to do, and that's summon the cosmic claw Thor style and murder his way out of the building. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens. Yeah, the authorities are after him, and not even a cosmic claw can save him this time. So next frog, indirectly murder somebody by asking them to do you a favor. Well, they're surrounded by guards, and the guards are shooting to kill, which we see by Sim Dander sending a guard out to be like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" and getting instantly vaporized. Which, um, so Dan and Sondar need to think fast to get out of the courtroom. They end up stealing the jetpack rigs of a, of a couple of uh, uh, rocket window washers, and they fly to safety, uh, shooting into crowds as they go uh, <laughs> to steal an experimental starfighter and take off to freedom unless the air defense guns and ships shoot them down. As I said, still murdering. Luckily... The experimental starfighter they stole is actually pretty nice, which is cool. They managed to escape. Yeah, it's super sweet, and it's yeah. definitely the perfect ride that he eventually calls a cool name. Yeah. Sondar has a theory that maybe instead of betraying them, they weren't. A- it wasn't actually Myriad that denounced them, but an evil beast of Krugel- of uh, Krugos. This because big- he could smell his gross pheromones. Yeah. This big, hairy, shape-changing Krogan that has turned into Myriad. Uh, he could have been a prisoner on the Mekon ship and was let free in exchange for exper- for incriminating our dudes. But how could we prove it? I mean, I mean where, where could we find a no-good, dirty Krogan? Answer, topsoil. The wretched, sky of, the wretched hive of scum and villainy where Dan recruited the dudes for the Lost World story way back in Prague 28, episode 8 of this podcast. Oh my god, we've been doing this forever! Dude, and on top of that, like, if all of these people saw Dan Dare and heard about what happened to all the people who used to live there, 
I mean, would you be like, oh, that's the captain I want to sign up with? <laughs> exactly. So, wretched sky of hum of of a uh, wretched hive of scum and villainy. Well, they'll find this bad guy, and yeah, as they arrive, they destroy the Century satellite for the space station, and Dan renames their ship the Crusader. They land. Next episode, meet the dregs of the galaxy. Only three more Dan Air frogs left. You know, if it was going to try to be dryly sarcastic, it should have said "Meet the Dregs of the Galaxy Part 2. It's you're 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 pretty right, Fox. To be honest. <laughs> okay, so that's it for the thrills for this month, Fox. What is your top and bottom thrills for this July 1979? So, um, big special mention that I want to throw out is actually for uh, for uh, Project Overkill. Nice. Um, I I really like like this, and I I think I might really enjoy it. I think it's a, a good marriage. I like the main character. I like his intense motivations. I like the action schlock of him getting cut in the back of his neck to remove this like weird like bomb basically that was yeah. in his skull. Um, but the problem is is that like all of the good that was in this month, and it was a pretty damn good month, is kind of eclipsed by fucking ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's definitely my favorite thing. It definitely shines very bright, I'd say for sure. Um, so yeah, that ABC Warriors is definitely my top spot. It is fucking beautiful, and I love it. <laughs> and what's your bottom throw for this month? Uh, Dan Dare. All right. No doubt. Dandere's complete garbage and filth. And it's like slowly clawing a comeback right now, but it's really just because the cynic in me is just watching him continue to murder and say, why isn't this working? (laughs) (laughs) It's been working for so long, it's not working right now. Nice. Uh, I think for me, my top thrill is definitely ABC Warriors. Oh my God. Um, This... This introduction of Deadlock and of Mongrel is so, like, iconic and stuff. It's just, it really sticks with you. And, like, the story, you know, the, the, the tragic story of Mongrel, like, all the crazy just robot knight stuff of Deadlock. Yes. And then even, like, you know, the, 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 the retreat to, Volg, to, to Volgao or whatever, the opening story is no slouch just of being robot fighting with awesome character designs and just crazy action and stuff. All in all... Pineapples is the bomb. Yeah, Joe Pineapples is real fun. I think... I'm interested to see what you think about his evolution as as, uh, 2000 AD uh, uh, goes on. No one tell Fox about what happens with Joe Pineapples. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile... I'd say my bottom feels also Dan Dare. Um, it sort of overstayed its welcome a little bit. Um, I did have some kind of laugh moments with Dan Dare, like with the cl- with the trial by clones and yeah. just the the evil administrators and bureaucrats and stuff. I find it to be very funny, just because, like you said, Dan Dare is very much this like loose cannon by the seat of his pants kind of character and Mm. so to have him come up against bureaucracy making legitimate points about um like (laughs) how him being a loose cannon is actually not an optimal setup is i think pretty hilarious honestly and pretty like yeah like what up you know the the cynic in me that wants to make action movies be about people filling out paperwork for two hours um (laughs) definitely like appreciates that stuff um i'm 
I'm less high on Project Overkill than you. Um, oh. I wonder how, you, like, honestly, and I don't want to mess it up for you right now, but I'm interested to see how you feel when it ends, you know? I mean, that's always kind of the the clutch part of these short-lived series, right? Like, yeah. Um, Harlem Heroes ended super terribly, and that left a very sour taste in my mouth. Whether it, I mean, look, they kind of made their own bed, I guess, or whatever, but... Yeah, like, and I think sort of, you know... Project Overkill has the thing that a lot of stories about conspiracies have where the first half is very good just because you're learning piece bits and pieces about the conspiracy and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I think, but then it can get weaker once you actually know some of the secrets and what they're sort of moving around with. But, you know, let's, that's for next week. You know, we'll figure it out. Or for next I mean, episode, I should thing. say. It's like I, after Angel, this is like, there's not a very high bar set anymore. That's, that is so... So extremely fair. <laughs> that is definitely true. Like I thought, Death Planet was going to be the bar for most things. Nope, nope. It's fucking Angel. Uh, ain't not even Rick Random was worse than Angel. Uh, Rick Random is old. Okay, that's like saying. That oh, but that was new. Other. Like they made a new thing that made it oh, feel really that's old, though. True. Yeah, no, you... but Angel was worse. All right, we gotta we gotta remember this for the spinnies and have kind of a little conversation about it when we get to the year Angel in, was year worse. in review. <laughs> awesome. Angel was so much worse. <laughs> All right. Despite our belly aching, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. <laughs> I like my belly ache. Hey, why not? You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. Come back next time as disaster continues to strike Mega City 1. It's showdown time for Savage. We meet the final two members of the ABC Warriors team in Black Blood and Steelhorn. And we reach the end of both Project Overkill and Dan Dare. Jesus, please pave the way for something amazing. Well, also next next episode, the realities of the IPC Fleetway publishing model will once again reach their logical conclusion as 2000 AD will absorb another comic and change from being 2000 AD and Star-Lord to being 2000 AD and Tornado. We'll get... Well- We'll get three new characters, uh, Wolfie Smith, a psychic teen, Blackhawk, a Roman gladiator from Nubia who is about to travel to the stars, and Captain Klepp, a one-page humor strip about one of the few superheroes in 2000 AD. I mean, I don't know if I should be excited about that. I, I would not be excited about Captain Clep. That <laughs> feels like a Bonjo situation. It's a very Bonjo situation. Oh, no. Yeah. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Verthrig! Splendid Verthrig. <laughs>